So I loved many, many aspects of being a parent. However, um, one of the things that I didn't love at all were birthday parties. Uh, and it's not so much the parties themselves, those were usually fun, it was the guest list. Let's be honest here, uh, it is extremely rare that any one child likes every other child in their class. And on the other side, it's very uh, rare that any one child is liked by every other child in their class. And so even if cost is not an issue, and it's possible to invite everyone in a class, it's almost inevitable that there will be at least one, maybe two kids that your child just does not want at their birthday party. And it's almost inevitable that there will be a child or two who doesn't want your child at their party. And walking with kids through either side of that was excruciating for me. And I think that part of the reason that there is so much difficulty in situations like this that of invitations guiding our kids through it is because as adults, we are still dealing with many of those issues ourselves. I think most of all of us probably have events in our lives where we either struggle over whom we should invite to an event or have anxiety about whether we will get invited to a certain event that we want to go to. In fact, it can be an extremely painful situation finding out about something that you would have loved to have gone to, but you weren't invited. That hurts. Inevitably, our love as human beings is not broad enough to include everyone. Some will be outside of our capacity. And frankly, we will be outside the capacity of some to love as well. The wonderful news that we celebrate at Christmas is that the same is not true about God. Our story for this morning is a beautiful revelation of the breadth of God's love. Matthew's story of the Magi at the birth of Jesus confirms our, for us that from the very beginning, including those on the margins, has been central to God's love in Christ. I think the shock value of Matthew's story has worn off for most of us uh, but the presence of these particular foreigners, these magi, at the birth of Jesus would originally have caused a fairly disturbing um, response for those who, and most were, aware of the animosity between the highly religious people of God and the, these particular Gentile idol worshipers, is what they were. One of the major factors distorting our 
present day understanding uh, is the tradition that has come to us that says that the visitors were three kings. The tale has been taken so far as to give each of these supposed kings names, Melchior, Balthazar, and Casper. It makes it seem as though their presence at the birth of Jesus was some sort of honor. The idea being sort of, oh, sure, they might not have been Jewish, but they were royalty. They were kings. With that thought, this event seems a little bit like when the Queen of Sheba came to give honor to King Solomon and brought gifts with her. Yes, she was from a foreign country, but she was a queen, a famous queen. But nowhere, nowhere in the text does it say anything about them being kings. It doesn't say anything about their names. It doesn't even say how many of them there were. We get this idea of three because there were three gifts that are named, but as one commentator put it, those were probably the most valuable things from that particular region, region that they came from. And Matthew is the only one who tells us this story. So what we have in Matthew's text is all we have to go on. And none of that stuff is there. Matthew tells us simply that this was a group of magi from the east. Most of the more empirical evidence suggests that they were likely persons who combined the, the practices of both astronomy and astrology. They practiced those together, and they probably served as a kind of uh, council, sounding board for the royalty of Persia. For many cultures of the time, reading the stars and interpreting what it meant was highly valued. Uh, William Barclay, a Scottish um, scholar, notes that since the stars were, were sort of fixed in regular patterns for the most part, they represented for many cultures the fixed order of the universe. And if anything changed, it was thought to be the work of the gods. And if anything changed dramatically or suddenly, it was thought to be a portent of some major, major event. The work of the Magi was to study the skies and to interpret what the gods were doing, what they were saying. As I noted, many cultures of the time valued what they did greatly, but not the Jewish nation or even the early church. From the perspective of God's covenant people, the Magi were idol worshipers who led their people astray by interpreting the stars. Therefore, they were not only not God's people, but they were essentially almost like priests of pagan religions. Dale Bruner, um, a former professor at Whitworth, writes this. In the New Testament, every other reference to Magi is unfavorable. 
Yahweh's miraculous intervention in the exodus from Egypt had delivered Israel not only from the house of physical slavery, but from spiritual and mental slavery to the constellations, to the stars. To Israel and to the early church, astrologers would be the least deserving guests at the birthday party of Christ. And yet, here they are. Not only were they there, but the way they got there is a bit scandalous. I have to grab the Bible. Those first two verses of our text. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, actually, we saw his star arise and have come to worship him. What led them to Christ was a star which was essentially an idol to God's covenant people. God used the idol that they worshipped to lead them to Jesus. God didn't send an angel to set them straight first and then direct them to Jesus. God didn't sort of magically transport the Hebrew First Testament, the holy scriptures of the time, through the heavens and drop it from the sky into a certain spot in Persia, and they picked it up and they read the scriptures and then they got it all right in their heads, and then they went, God led them to see Jesus. They were looking to the skies, seeking wisdom, and God spoke to them through what they knew to lead them to the Christ. Now, it should be noted that God did use scripture as one very crucial step near the end. The, the, they hear that the king is to be born in Bethlehem. They hear that from the holy scriptures. But even after that, notice the star pops up again and leads them that final little bit. So of the many other good people in the world or the many other appropriate ways that God could have sent the, these folks an invitation or he could have sent someone an invitation, why did God choose these people and do it in this way? The answer, I believe, from Matthew seems to be because this reveals God's intention from the very beginning. God wants everyone at the party. And God will use whatever means necessary to reach people. In fact, I believe that Matthew, in Matthew's perspective, that those who are least likely to be invited by the good people, church-going folks like myself, the more God wants them at the party. And as is often the case, Dale Bruner 
susses out the good stuff as well as anybody. He writes, The Magi were outsiders both in race and in profession, yet they were invited to the party. Whatever one thinks of the Magi, whether one interprets them as sincere men literally following their lights, or thinks of them as idolatrous men, captive to superstition, one thing is clear. God, in kindness, led them by a sure route to his son. Matthew wishes to say by the inclusion of the Magi in the heart of the Christmas story, as he had by the inclusion of the women in the heart of his genealogy, that God surmounts racial or moral barriers to his saving work and makes the church interracial and merciful by calling to the Son precisely those persons whom many of the people of God consider unworthy. The gospel that ends with the great commission to the nations, to go to the nations and the ends of the world sharing the message, the gospel that ends with the great commission to the nations begins here at Christmas with a surprising invitation of the nations and indeed of what many considered the nation's worst elements. Matthew's story of the Magi at the birth of Jesus reveals that from the very beginning, including those at the margins, has been central to God's heart. This is obviously a very good thing for most of us here because we would never have been invited to the party had not God invited those who were on the margins. Most of us here have a Gentile background, which meant that early on we weren't included. Paul reminds us of what was, but what is. Remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners, therefore, to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier between us. This is the message of Christmas. That God's love embraces all people, especially those otherwise unloved or outside the community of, uh, a community of care. This is a message that I personally need to be reminded of on a regular basis. I will admit that there are people on the margins of my life, even whole types of people who are on the margins of my life, whom I find it difficult to love. And there are persons and whole groups of people who are on the margins of the life 
and love of our society. People who are not invited into place, a place of care and love. But they are the ones, especially, whom God looks for and invites into love. This is God's message to the world through Matthew. Malcolm Geith writes a poem about this time of year called On the Edge. Christmas sets the center on the edge, the edge of town, outbuildings of an inn, the fringe of empire, far from privilege and power, on the edge and outer spin of turning worlds, a margin of small stars that edge a galaxy itself light years from some unguessed at cosmic origin. Christmas sets the center at the edge, and from this day our world is realigned. A tiny seed unfolding in the womb becomes the source from which we all unfold and flower into being. We are healed. The end begins. The tomb becomes a womb. For now, in him, all things are realigned. May our guest list look increasingly like God's. Amen.